Is this Robert? Sure is. What's up, Chris? How you doing? Good, man. How are you, Robert? I'm doing all right. There's so many things happening just in <sighs> life and with everything that I'm just, uh, it's just maddening. Hello and welcome to The Documentary Life, a show that sets out to inspire and inform you on how to best live and lead your own documentary life. I am your host, Chris G. Parkhurst, and this is episode number 24, and it is brought to you by Barong Films, proud creators of Documentary Film, The Documentary Life Podcast, and The Documentary Academy, our industry-changing A to Z documentary filmmaking program that will transform you into the documentary filmmaker that you've always wanted to be. Find out more at thedocumentarylife.com slash academy. Today's podcast marks our monthly doc industry guest segment of the show. We are going to be talking to Robert Hardy, the creator behind the online independent filmmakers resource known as the Filmmakers Process, a website started by Hardy a couple of years ago when he left his post as a staff writer for another popular website, the how-to filmmaking website known as No Film School. Welcome to the show, Robert. It's great to have you with us today on TDL. Thanks for having me, Chris. I appreciate the the invite, and I'm stoked to dive into this. Absolutely. I'm sorry we haven't been able to get to it earlier. I know I, I, I've been in contact with you over the past couple of months, but yeah. as I'm sure that you can appreciate as a fellow independent filmmaker, it's kind of like we're juggling 3,000 things at once, and, and eventually we'll get around to it. And so um, I'm happy to have you on the show today, and, and I'm grateful for it. I think the first thing that I, the first I came across your work was, was reading some articles on the No Film School website. And that's probably the case with a lot of people that maybe would come to the filmmakers process. Yep. Were you one of the originators behind No Film School and, or how did your involvement ha- happen with them to begin yeah, with? Yeah, I wasn't, um, I wasn't one of the, the first writers. So Ryan Koo started it in earnest back in, I want to say like 2010, um, I think he hired like a few more writers in, in like maybe 2011 ish. And then I came on board early 2012. Okay. I don't know. It, it's something that I just sort of stumbled into cause I was, I was actually in film school at the time Okay. and like Ryan put out a post that was like, Hey, we're hiring writers. And I was like, I'm not qualified for that. I can't do that. <laughs> but I, whatever I submitted an application, wrote a few sample articles, all that kind of stuff. And didn't hear anything for, I don't know, three, four months. Mm. Just sort of assumed that nothing was happening. Right. And then just out of the blue, it was like, hey, man, want to come write for us? And the rest, as they say, is um, history. Well, and, and, and for, for any listeners who are not familiar with No Film School, which probably isn't a ton, but, right. but, but for those who are not, how would you describe No Film School, at least when you were there? And if that's changed since then, I'd, I'd love to hear about that as well. Yeah, I mean, more than, more than anything, what made no film school great at least back then was just the quality of curation um and and bringing a lot of the absolute best tutorials news um lots of like gear articles keeping people up to date with all the newest cameras like all that kind of stuff um nobody was really bringing all of that like and also in addition like all the all the artistic the the aesthetic stuff like nobody was really bringing all of that stuff under one roof like there were plenty of just straight up gear blogs doing, doing nothing else but that there were maybe, yeah. um, so yeah, it, it was really just a great one-stop shop for just this whole new generation of filmmakers that sort of exploded out of like the DSLR revolution and, right. and so on. Um, and yeah, that's, that's 
basically what it still is like they've they've since like opened a like a physical office they've hired real staff um, incredible yeah and it's a and and these days like they they do a, a tremendous job at going around to to some of the bigger festivals and even some of the the smaller festivals and like really like digging deep into interviews with the filmmakers who are there and right it's certainly grown over the past few years to say the least yeah yeah and and it's it's still to this day one of my my favorite sites to just hang out on especially for that that festival coverage and the the yeah. interviews with people like that's that's my jam right there now i'm going to go out on a wild limb here and and you'll help bring me back from this wild limb if this, if this is not the case but i'm guessing that something transpired during your time at no film school that inspired you to move on from that and do something else to do your own thing yeah well it's it's kind of complicated i get maybe maybe it's not all that complicated who knows um i just had this this sort of nagging sense that what i was writing about on a day-to-day basis wasn't really in line with my values necessarily yeah. as a filmmaker i was um like i was i was writing a good deal like a good deal of like gear stuff and doing a lot of curation stuff and it was all sort of based around this idea of like Oh, you've got to like make your feature, go to Sundance, get your film acquired, and just this <laughs> this whole definition of success that's sort of spoon-fed to this like just filmmakers everywhere. Like that's that's the track you have to take if you want to be an independent filmmaker in the modern world. And it's one of those things like I realized that like I didn't want it for myself. Um, I just because I mean it's it's not a very good way to make a living. Mm. Um, the like I I was never a big fan of the film industry after after a little bit. I um. I spent like two to three years freelancing, doing doing some stuff, all in the hopes of like working my way into basically like an indus- industry cinematographer role, maybe maybe shooting series, shooting features, that kind of thing. Right. And I I just didn't like the work that I was doing, <laughs> and the like the just I don't know. I so I more than anything like my my definition of success, which we can talk about more later, mm. basically came back to like doing film work that I love, like that I was actually passionate about, like stories that I wanted to tell and telling them with people and collaborators that I actually want to work with. And I just found myself not, I don't know, like writing a lot of content that pushed people in a direction other than that. And it, it just didn't feel yeah. natural to me. Um, well, then tell us tell us how, how, how filmmakers process, how it was born from there. I don't know, honestly. Like it, it, I think it started as a lot of things do. Like it was just an idea. Like I could start my own thing. And like I honestly, like obviously I wanted it to be something that would eventually like support me in a financial sense. Cause I think every, everybody wants to have something that does that, like be able to, I don't know, like speak their truth into the world and find a way to get paid for it. Uh, surely there have to be other filmmakers who are like me and who yes, aren't absolutely. necessarily interested in doing things the traditional way. Right. And who, more than anything, they just want to produce work that they're like genuinely proud of and like have a just a damn good time while doing it. So we're going to delve a bit deeper into this as the show progresses at, for sure with both filmmakers process and then certainly um, your definition of success that, that, I, that I'm eager to talk to you about. Before we do that, let's reel back a little bit and take a little uh, and take a look at, at, at some of your background. Have you always been based out of Denver? I've been here most of my adult life, but I... <laughs> I, as a kid, like my, my stepdad managed hotels and, um, that took us just all over, all over the world. So oh, I, I did I'm spend, sure did. yeah, yeah. I basically have like a military kind of travel existence. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, so existence, yeah. yeah, so it, there was, um, 
Texas, Pennsylvania, California. There was some time in um, Moscow and Russia in wow. the in the mid '90s, which was a strange time to be anywhere near Russia. Wow, um, and the filmmaker's process could have been based out of Moscow. Now that would have been <laughs> since high school, I guess. I've been I've been consistently in Colorado and have sort of okay. planted planted my feet here. Well, a very good friend of mine and, and a DP who I know from Portland um, years ago, he relocated back to Denver where he's from, Jack Mateer. I don't know if you've ever run into him or his name, but um, I haven't. he's a, he's an amazing, uh, amazing camera guy based out of Denver, Colorado. And like I said, a good friend, but he's done, he's done some work with me a couple of different times over in, um, in Cambodia. What nice. it seems like the, the Denver film scene has grown quite a bit over the years. Is that fair to say? And, and maybe you can describe to my listeners what the film scene is like in Denver. It's, it's interesting because they're like in terms of like traditional production, industry production, um, the tax incentives just aren't here. There's, there are oh, occasional, right, right. Yeah. There, so there are occasional films that roll through town, like, um, Tarantino's hateful eight shot up in, in Telluride a few years ago. Right. Um, but Beyond that, there's really not a lot of industry production, but there is a, a really great thriving indie community. There are a lot of documentary filmmakers out here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, like it's like Denver's just an art city, like and it, it attracts those kinds of people at this point. And I can't really say much more than that. Like it, it just it, it fosters independent art in a way that very few cities do. I'm sure I'm sure Portland does as well. Well, but, and, and one of the things Portland has, has had going for it over the years is it's had tremendous tax incentives, though over the past five, six, seven years, it's had to really compete with some other areas like, you know, Shreveport, Louisiana or yep. Albuquerque, New Mexico, of all places who have just even better tax incentives. Robert, how has filmmaking been a part of your life and how long has it been a part of your life? That's a, that's another interesting story. So, so I studied at the university of Denver and I was originally planning to study there, um, like go into their like super intensive jazz conservatory program. Mm-hmm. And wow. when I was touring, touring in terms of like the school, I actually had a few students warn me that, I would probably not like the program because it was so intensive. It basically sucked you out of the college experience. Like they just drop you in and you do nothing else but music for the first two years of college. Yeah. Welcome to intensive and, music school. Yeah. And I, I just had to ask myself, is that what I want? Hmm. And I, it wasn't. And I was just like thumbing through like the, the university of Denver catalog of majors and whatnot. And I saw like film studies and not film studies, like film studies and production and I was like, that sounds kind of fun. I don't know anything about that. I've always liked movies. Might as well give it a shot. And sure enough, within like 20 minutes of my my first class, I was just head over heels in love and um, have basically just thrown myself into it intensively. And that's that's been, what, eight years, nine years? I don't know. You knew that um, was your calling pretty quickly into it. Is that what you would is that what you yeah, say? Yeah, yeah. And I, and I, I still... Don't even know if I would say it's it's my calling, but mm. I, I I I don't know. I'm one of those sort of multi passionate people who <laughs> like can't, I can't seem to to just choose one thing and and stick with it, which I think is another reason that I would be just terribly suited in the the film industry because you really have to <laughs> to buckle buckle down and um like choose a choose a profession and, and sort of work your way through it. Totally. Um, and I pick the avenue that you're going to go, do I want to be an art director? Do I want to work in grip and electric? Do I want to be an editor? Like you do have to fairly soon pick, pick and choose the path because that path is going to be, it's going to direct 
the way in which you go in, and achieve that path or that end result. Exactly. So yeah, like I, so I'm head over heels in love with, with film and still to this day, like I, I think it's just the greatest artistic medium known to man. Like it's, it's so damn powerful, man. Mm. But I, I, like, I still play guitar every single day. Like I'm, I'm a, I'm a writer first and foremost in my life. Like that's how I make most of my money these days. Yeah, um, right, right. So there, I don't know. I'm, multi-talented maybe i don't know that sounds a little multi-talented bit like... and multi-passioned i mean you know it's funny in a way uh and i say this from experience from having good friends um who who went to you know various music schools and and had the experience that that you um decided not to have and some of them don't even pick up their instrument now and yeah. that, that's the danger of it right that that can be the danger of, of that intensity and, and immersion into it um, talk a little bit about, about your experience out of college, um, in the film industry, um, whether it was with corporate video, whether it was wedding videos, the, uh, with, whether it was narrative films, whether it was docs, um, what was it that you, you started working into before, or maybe while you were doing some of the no film school stuff? So for the most part, I was freelancing as a camera operator and okay. doing some, some editing stuff as well, since I didn't really understand that idea that you have to specialize in something. Um, yeah. And for the most part, I was doing just sort of like second shooter jobs on, on corporate gigs. Right. Um, there's, there's a good deal of reality television in Denver. Um, <laughs> both, I don't know, I don't know how exactly that happened, but it's, it's one of like in, in terms of media production, there's just that that's one of the, the biggest sectors in, in town. Um, yeah, yeah. so I, I did a, I did a, like a lot of PA gigs, yep. um, for, for reality shows and I hated those. <laughs> oh, what did you think man. of that? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Like it, it's, it's work. It, I, I just remember being on the voice and spending like eight straight hours, just like laying down tape on the floor sure. through this, through this massive, um, auditorium at, at DU, like their, their whole sports complex. Cause they were holding open auditions there. Like the tape was meant to, um, guide people through this labyrinth complex. Oh, I thought maybe you were putting down layout board to protect the, protect the floors. No, but no, no, no. And it, it was just like that, that experience, like that whole day. <laughs> and that, that was only half of the day, like a like 14 hour day or something like that for right. like, a hundred bucks or some whatever, um, some obscene amount. That's not right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it, I don't know. I, I just did enough of that to the point where I was like, I need to not be doing this anymore. This is, this is not what I want to be doing with my time. Over the past decade, the world of documentary film promotion and distribution has changed dramatically. And what's awesome is, for the most part, is it highly benefits us independent doc filmmakers. However, we do recognize that navigating this new landscape of promotion and distribution can be a bit daunting when you're new to the task. Like, how do you make sense of the VODs and SVODs of the world? How do you find a distributor and sales agent that you can trust and who will work diligently to get your film out into the world? And what are they even looking for anyway? Or wait, maybe you should self-distribute your film. Maybe taking it out on a national tour is the right move for your film. But how would you even go about organizing such a thing? Is your film right for the potentially lucrative educational market? Or are community screenings the way to go? 
There are so many options available to you to get your film out to its market, but there are a lot of questions you probably have about how to do it, which is why we help you make sense of it all in our flagship program, the Documentary Academy. Inside the Academy, you will create a tailor-made, multifaceted, hybrid documentary film distribution strategy, one that's created based on your film and your film alone. You will have a strategic overview of how you will get your film out into the world and in front of the people who want to see it. Take control of your film distribution and enroll in the Documentary Academy at thedocumentarylife.com slash academy. We'll see you there. Then at what point did you decide to focus your energies on, on the filmmaker's process, your baby, as opposed to working in the film industry or, or going to journalism school? At what point yeah. did you decide, yeah, you know what, this is what I'm going to do? I want to say late 2015 where I really decided that like, look, I, I have to do this. Like if I, if I don't, I'm just going to be sort of miserable writing about the, the same things that every other filmmaking blog is writing about, even right, though it's right. not, it's not in line with what I actually care about. And those same things uh, are talking about gear, yeah. uh, Hollywood directors and movies, how to get your film into Sundance. Are these the topics you're referring to? Yeah, 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 right, yeah. Right. And that's and that's from the front page of um from my site. Like just I don't know. I don't think the world needs any more like five filmmaking hacks from Quentin Tarantino articles sure or doesn't. <laughs> could, like, agree, could just, agree more. Just that kind of stuff. And but at the same time, it it pays the bills to write that kind of stuff. It it generates it generates massive amounts of traffic and people sure. love it. Sure. Even even though it's it's sort of empty and vapid and and it doesn't really help anybody move towards their goals. Like there, yeah. there's a reason that stuff exists. And it's it's I don't know. It's it's hard to separate yourself from it when like that kind of content is what pays your rent. Uh, you know what? I mean, you're speaking my language here in, in some ways, Robert. Uh, it's a big part of the thought process around um, what I'm doing uh, in many ways with the podcast and the blog is that, you know, it is you have this fine line of I, I want to attract more listeners. I want to attract more readers. And and I think what helps guide me because I want to avoid the things that, that you're avoiding. I, I don't want to regurgitate the same exact information that, you know, nine out of 10 filmmaking blogs um, or documentary uh, resources are, are saying. And so I have to pick and choose some of the, some of what I think is going to be appropriate and, and some of what's going to be sort of in service of my listeners. And then what is just regurgitating what we're all reading. And, and it's, it's definitely a challenge, but I, I find that it's gratifying when I do find the yeah. areas where I'm trying, I try desperately, you know, to offer something that we haven't all heard a thousand times and, and you're, yeah, doing, this, you're doing the same thing, man. Yeah. And it like these days, like most of what I write on filmmakers process are these just really, really meaty long form articles. Um, so like with no film school, a lot of what I would write would be in the neighborhood of like 300 words, four or 500 words, sometime, sometimes up to a thousand, maybe like that happened maybe like five to 10 times in the three years that I, I wrote for them. Right. Um, right. like these days, everything is in like the 1500 to 4,000 word range. And it's, it's just exquisitely crafted. Like most of these articles take me 10, 20 hours to put together. No, and, and, and you can tell, I mean, you can tell that you're a writer and you can tell your passion comes through in what you're saying. And the mere fact that these are lengthier articles is in itself separates you from so many of the articles that we read and that we yeah. ourselves write. I mean, it's, 
that's a big part. Um, for me, that's a big part of the attraction of something like the filmmaker's process. Yeah. And I mean, I, I still have days where I like yearn to just like find a cool YouTube video and then just basically write an article that summarizes it and then put right. it out and call that a day's work. Right, like, right. Oh man, that was <laughs> just, but I do, um, I do still do a ton of curation with, with my newsletter each week. Cause like that's yeah. the, if there's one skill, like maybe outside of like just writing really grabby headlines, um, that I, that I got from no film school. Um, it's, basically just following along with what everybody is doing, like everything that everybody is saying in the entire filmmaking sphere, and then filtering out all the crap that's sort of inconsequential and focusing on what's good and then sharing that with people. And I, I think that still has a, a tremendous amount of value because like and that's obviously the curation I, in your newsletters that you're referring yeah, yeah. to, right? Every, yeah, yeah every, every week I have a, I, so I send out a newsletter every Sunday morning that's equally as meaty. Sometimes it's like 2000 words long right, as right. well, but I have a, a section that's just usually six or seven, um, just really interesting and useful stories from other filmmaking blogs. Sometimes it's videos. Sometimes it has nothing to do with filmmaking, but like the ideas and, and whatever I'm sharing are applicable to filmmakers. And yeah, so I, I just think there's a still great value in, in sharing whatever like everyone else is doing because like, I'm not the only one producing good content. Like there's, there's right. so much good stuff out there and it's, it's kind of hard to keep track of it all. Are you, would you say, are you trying to help people get into the film industry or are you trying more to teach people to tell the best stories that they can tell with something like filmmakers process, or are you perhaps doing something entirely different from those things? That right there is an interesting question mm. that I have asked myself many times. Um, cause again, like from, from day one, the, the, like the, the hope was to turn filmmakers process into a business and teaching people how to get into the industry. Like I, I know that could be a really good business because mm. frankly, there are just so many people who would, who would pay to learn those skills. Sure. But at the same time, like that's, that's not necessarily what I believe. So these days, like the, the tagline on the site is learn how to make films that you care about and succeed in an ever changing world or something like that. I don't know what it, what it actually says. Right. But right. Lately, my, my focus has been on, helping filmmakers find success and actually define what success means for them. So I think that maybe is like a crafty way around that, that question. Um, and it maybe is, is a maybe even a more useful way to look at it. Cause I, I think sort of hammering people with these one size fits all definitions of success is kind of what, what drove me away from no film school in the, in the first place. So I really wanted to get it like the, the core of that and mm. say, you can like, there's so much opportunity for filmmakers in the world, thanks to the the cheap equipment and the internet being able to like, you can reach anybody with your films if you, if you really want to, like, there are just so many paths that you can weave through the world as a filmmaker. And I, I don't think it's, it, it'd be cool of me to say that, nope, you have to, you have to choose this one. So I'm, I'm really trying to make it a, a choose your own adventure kind of thing that well, it's, it's. I don't know if I don't know how good of a job I'm doing. Honestly, well, you know what? But. You know what? Let, let's talk about this is a great segue into let's talk about this idea of success. You you talked about it in great detail in one of your posts um, entitled How to Define Filmmaking Success for Yourself. Okay? Yeah. You talked about how many 
independent filmmakers are chasing this idea of success that's basically been thrust upon them by, you know, magazines, TV, blogs, podcasts, you know, everyone should be making a feature and then relying on major film festivals, traditional distribution, this idea, right? And, yeah. and, and how is this definition? I guess I'll, I'll ask you, and maybe we've already gotten to that. How, how, how is this definition of success doing more harm than good? And, and see, that's the thing. Like I, there are still a handful of filmmakers in the world who can make a, a good living for themselves that way. And there are still people who make a feature, go to Sundance and somehow end up with like a three picture deal or something like that. You know, right, um, right. guys like, um, Ryan Coogler who did, um, he directed a great little film called Fruitvale station a couple years ago. Um, like he just did the black Panther and he did the newest Rocky movie. Like, right. like, so it is, it is still something that can occasionally happen if you're, if you're extremely talented and well-connected and, and so on and so forth. But for the vast majority of filmmakers these days, Achieving that definition of success is so statistically improbable <laughs> that it's it's basically like winning the lottery. Like I, I don't know how else to put it. Like I think so. Let's let's like talk numbers. Um, yeah, I think over fourteen thousand films were submitted to Sundance this year. If I remember correctly, like a hundred or hundred and twenty of them were submitted, and that's features and shorts all together. Yes. Um, and that's. So that's less than 1%, way less than 1%. And of all of those, not all of them get distribution deals. Actually, uh, I'd say a small percentage of them get like a good distribution deal. And there cuz there are a lot of deals that are thrown around that are really not favorable for the filmmakers where they where they give up rights that they they really shouldn't. Um, that's right. We've heard of, of many yeah. of those instances over the years. Yeah, and that that's an, another one of those things like there there are so many sort of like bottom feeding distribution companies that will offer filmmakers these really crap deals that don't allow them to break even. But so many filmmakers have that idea that just getting a distribution deal is, is how you win the game that they, they, they play along with, with that. So it, I don't know, like, well, and, and I, thankfully a lot of that's, that that's changing now, especially, you know, with digital distribution and self distribution yeah, and, yeah. and certainly in, 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 in the documentary crowd, as well as narrative crowd, a lot of that's changing. I mean, even just, even just YouTube is changing yeah. that, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. There, there are just so many digital platforms that are out there that it's really become the avenues for distribution have become so expansive now that that thankfully, I guess in some ways, um, well, certainly thankfully in many ways, we don't have to rely on, um, we no longer have to just subscribe to this pipe dream of, yeah. of the traditional model, which, which you're talking about. Yeah. And that's, and that's actually one of the things that I'm, I'm really starting to buckle down on and figure out how I can teach it going forward is how to, how to actually be a self-distribution badass. And for me, it all comes down to building an audience of people who are interested in your work and right. having a direct means of communication with them, usually, usually an email list, like, cause that's still how just marketing works in the online world. Um, but like it's, it's still the wild west out there. There are some people mm. who are achieving some modicum of success with self distribution, but there, I, there's just so much information that it's, it's hard to make sense of it all. And there's so many platforms you can go out on and it's, I don't know, it, it's kind of overwhelming. So I'm, I'm, I'm starting to, to shift my focus a little bit towards, towards that realm because I, I do think that there, 
there, there's a lot of opportunity for people who want to make the films that they want to make. Like, I, I think there is opportunity to make films you care about and get paid for it. Like, I, I don't think you should have to just make generic watered down whatever in order to be a successful feature filmmaker or even short filmmaker. So I like, maybe that's just my, me being like overly idealistic, but I, I do think it's going to become increasingly more possible for people to, to make a living completely independent of the industry with, with their original films. But it's just a matter of figuring out like the mechanics of, of how that works, you know, just the sheer number of the sheer number of series that you see being created by independent narrative and documentary filmmakers alike on, on even on YouTube, that in itself has to, has to speak to what you're, what you're talking about. Exactly. And like, if they can like, and once you have an, an audience of people who are like interested in your, in your work, it opens up so many doors. Like even if you, if you were inclined to go the industry route, like having, having an audience allows you to, um, get traditional financing significantly more easily. Um, it allows you to connect with distributors and get a more favorable deal from them. Um, and it like, you can also sell your work directly to audiences. And that's what a lot of, of the, the like DIY self distribution stuff is about these days, which I'm, I'm a big fan of, of doing that, even though, yeah, even though it, I think it requires a massive sort of mindset shift from a lot of the, the filmmakers out there because you, you have to become a business person. You have to become a, a, an online entrepreneur of sorts to to make it happen. And then, and, and tell us about that a little bit, because it's something that I've been stressing for a while and, and, but prior to that, it's something that I, for so long of my life refused to acknowledge the importance of selling yourself, selling your work, becoming a business, a business. I feel like there's, I often think that if I were to go back to school again, I I would probably, there's, there's a part of me that believes that, um, if I had immersed myself in, say, a business degree of sorts, it yeah. would be infinitely helpful for me now as a filmmaker. And there's no way I would have thought that 10, 15, 20 years ago. I, ne- I wouldn't have been able to think along those lines. And exactly. I now fully embrace that, and I'm learning about that every day. So why don't you give us a few succinct examples or reasons, and maybe how to, Robert, um, embrace this idea of becoming a business person in today's filmmaking world for me it starts with this this sort of distaste that people have for just the word marketing like they don't like every everybody seems to think marketing is this this really gross spammy like you have to be aggressive and and just sort of a douche um and there there is a lot of that especially in in the online world like there there are a lot of people doing internet marketing in ways that is just so uh, just obnoxious and gross. And I, I think it, it turns a lot of people off to the potential of authentically selling yourself um, online, selling yourself your films right. and, and everything else. So like I talked a little bit about, about having an audience. Um, this is all shit. part of it. It's all built into yeah. it, right? Building an audience yeah, well, to actually, tell us about like, all of this. Yeah. Yeah. So building an audience is, is the thing for making, making it work. And I I think that's that's where a lot of people get lost. They're like, but, but how do I sell? How do I, how do I do all that? Like I, so for me, it has to just revolve around audience building. Cause without that one piece, like there, there is no direct distribution. There is 
there is no business. Yeah, you're absolutely so, kidding yourself if you think that you're going to make a film and then the audience will be created for that film afterwards. It's not Yeah, if, if you think you can just like tweet it out or, right. or put a <laughs> to put a link to your film in like Reddit or some Facebook groups like that that's just that's not a that's not a sustain that's not anything. You're not going to make any money. It's not anything. Like, right. For me, there's there's a lot of different ways to think about audience building, but the one I'm actually starting to, to teach right now is using this idea of micro films or micro shorts. And this right. is something that I've been, you're been a big talking proponent about. of it. Absolutely. Oh man. It's my, it's my favorite thing ever. Um, so making these little like one to three minute short films that are basically tailor made for online consumption. Cause nobody sits down and goes, scrolls through Facebook and sees a feature film and just like, I'm going to watch a full feature right now. But you right. can you can craft these great little pieces of content, these these little stories, and and get them out there and use them to get draw people back to your website, back to your email list. Um, and that's that's sort of a, a tricky tricky little area. But the one idea that I've been been playing with is to create serialized micro shorts. So have them have them be actually like part of a series of like a bigger story, and then just like withhold the the finale episode and have that be the incentive to join your email list. <laughs> right, right, absolutely. Uh, yeah, so that's that's sort of like one of the ideas that I'm, I'm, I'm playing with at this point. But at the end of the day, it has to involve getting people on an email list because that's, that's how you sell things in the digital age. Like you can't convert an audience through social media. Mm-hmm. It, just, it just doesn't happen. Although it, it might for a little bit. But the the power of email for for selling is just is just so immense, and That's we've, right. You're we've reaching seen people it. directly. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, not not to mention the fact that you actually own email lists, and when you're building an audience through, say, YouTube or Facebook, that that means of communication is basically subject to the whims of those enormous corporations who don't really have your best interests in mind. Like they're just trying to squeeze as much right. ad revenue out of everybody as possible. And right. like we've, we've seen this with Facebook already a few times. It used to be that you had 10,000 people on your Facebook page and you could post and it would reach pretty much everybody. Yeah. Now Facebook has, <laughs> has just dicked around with their algorithm and done whatever they do under the hood. And now it's you reach just a fraction of the people on your list unless you pay Facebook to, to boost things. That's right. And that's that's one of those, just another another reason to go straight straight for email. Because not only is it more more personal, yeah. but you you own it, and it it's just there's there's it's night and day. Like email email is the way to go if you want to sell things online. It's like content marketing 101 right there. Not what you said, yeah. but the email list. Exactly. And then, yeah, and then content, content marketing, like that's, uh, that's, that's how you build an audience is by producing things that, that people enjoy and taking them specifically to the places where those people hang out online. So I maybe like, say I wanted to become like a, a horror filmmaker, I would probably produce some of those micro films or micro shorts in the horror genre. And I would take them to like horror Facebook groups and horror subreddits. And I would get feedback and and sort of start building rapport with people in those um, communities and eventually sort of use that as a way to drive traffic back to my site and my email list. And it's it's a tedious process. It takes forever. But like once you start getting in the groove and and 
pr- consistently producing content that engages your ideal audience. Like it's something that you can, it's not on autopilot by any means, but right. it's something that you can just keep doing and, and you got to engage people and, and be useful. And that's, that's sort of what it's all about. And you know what? It's also at the end of the day for a lot of us, including I'm sure yourself, it's fun too. like, like building yeah. that community, engaging with people on those levels is it's really fun. Like the amount of listeners that I have throughout the globe now, and they and, and it's, it's the same for you in terms of readership. Like that's very satisfying to me. Yeah. I, I love getting an email from somebody in in, in Abu Dhabi or somebody in in, yeah. in Nepal. Like like I I love this, and 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 it feeds what I'm doing, um, and encourages me to do it that much more. And Dude, right, and that's part yeah. of that whole like we people like you and I we have to remain in service. Of, of our people, because if we don't, then we just become these, you know, like like the corporate sort of situation that you're referring to earlier, where you're not really getting pe- to know people on a one to one level, and and you're yeah. just you're just tweeting out crap, you know. And that's and I I completely agree. Like having a, a community of people who are actually engaged with you and are who are excited to hear from you, yeah. and yeah, and, and then occasionally just like. I'll get a random email from somebody who it just says something like, this is the exact site that I've been waiting for. Thank you for putting it out there. And that just warms the cockles of my heart. Like I'm just like, I just love that stuff so much. And it, it just makes it, it makes it worth it. Keep, keep doing what you're doing, Robert. I, I love the long form articles and um, I know not, I know that we're in a bite sized sort of world and people consume things in much quicker and smaller fashion, but I think doing yeah. what you're doing is is separating yourself from that um, from that pack a little bit. And and I for one appreciate We're, creating thanks, man. Uh, something that you mentioned um, when we started the Skype call to me that I that I didn't that I didn't realize was that um, you yourself and it makes sense uh, are interested in in podcasting. Um, yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit uh, about that? I, I, I'd love to hear more. Yeah, I, so. Two, three weeks ago, some, I don't even know. I am seriously bad at keeping track of time. I um, so I produced an episode, like guest produced a, a big segment for Ron Dawson's Radio Film School podcast. Which, if if you haven't listened to that person, love that podcast. This, yep. It's love it. It is phenomenal. It's basically like it's basically this American life meets um, the world of independent filmmaking, yeah. which is is fantastic. Um. But I, I guess produced a segment for it, and it just lit me up. Like I had so much fun. I thought what I ended up producing was was just valuable and, and insightful, and it was. It was you can tell that, listening listening to that segment. You can tell, and it's great. And yeah. and I and I love that show. Yeah. So I'm basically trying to think about ways that I can I can make a, a podcast that sort of fits my brand and that that fits into this this whole philosophy that I'm building. Um, and so what I'm thinking. And this is this is all um, like preliminary, and it is all subject to change. I'm thinking a, just season one of a podcast, probably ten episodes, and I'm thinking the the theme of the season because I want it to all be basically like a little a little course, like a little mini audio course that is all just revolving around one theme that takes you through like the whole spectrum of ideas. So I'm thinking the theme of this season, season one, which I'm probably thinking is two months out at this point is filmmaking success what it means how to define it for yourself how to get your money situation figured out because obviously you have to you have to make a living in in some way or another big Um, thing a big part of what we talk about often on this show yep um 
And that's and that's something that I, I don't think a lot of people like realize about my site because it seems kind of um, I don't know, maybe just overly idealistic, like, oh, just produce what you want to produce and everything will work out fine. Like, I'm, <laughs> no, I'm a hardcore realist. Like you've you've got to put food on the table and and, and pay your rent. Um, so yeah. I, I have a whole bunch of advice for different ways that you can do that. Um and then just like all of the other little things that contribute to filmmaking success in the long run. And for me, it's all built around this idea of, of small daily practices, like things that you actually do every single day yep. that, that inch you closer towards whatever your definition of success is, however you define it. Um, so for me, that's things like taking care of physical and mental health. That's things like consistently building your network in an authentic non-douchey way and all this all this extra little stuff like um, building building your filmmaking skills and like defining your unique voice and and what your unique perspective is like all of this kind of stuff so I'm, I'm thinking like that's that's gonna be the topic of, of season one and obviously like I, I haven't thought it all the way through and, and what it's gonna be but I'm I'm thinking it's it's gonna be unlike anything else out there but well, Robert, if there's anything that that I can uh, that I can do to help you um, sort of along that process, I'm all about it. I think it sounds like you've got some great ideas for the podcast, and 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 I'll definitely be listening and and looking forward to it. So, um, yeah, and I'd be more than happy to do a segment or be on the show at some point if if if, if it makes sense for you. It's uh, absolutely, it's a cool man. Idea. I, love it. I get the I get the sense that we are, um, I don't know, in the in the same sort of sphere and how we and how I think we think so, about man. things and there's I really think it's, so it's it's weird cuz there's there's like I I rarely come across people who have that that same sort of mentality and approach to everything so it's it's refreshing to find people who and I'm sure it's got, and I'm sure it's how I found you you know with yeah. the filmmakers process and no film school it, it 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 makes sense it makes sense yeah robert this has been a uh, great discussion i think there's i think there's a lot here for for my listeners to gain from this particular episode um it may not have been documentary specific but it's so um applicable to any of us independent filmmakers yeah and uh and 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 the website is the filmmakersprocess.com uh, Robert Hardy, this has been a tremendous conversation. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. I'd, I'd love to have you on again and and see how things are going for you. I think you have a lot to offer independent filmmakers out there and, and certainly have a lot to offer my listeners. And I look forward to more conversations like this, man. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. This has been a blast. So thank you, man. Hey, can I ask a quick favor? If you found this podcast helpful in living your doc life or making your doc film, will you help us share it with more people by giving us a stellar review on whichever platform you use to listen to this podcast? We'd really appreciate it, and you'll be helping the doc filmmaking community find us. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.